Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Okay, we are going to be going back to the Beatitudes um, for the next little while. So when we started looking through the Sermon on the Mount at um, roughly the beginning of last year, uh, we didn't start with the Beatitudes, even though that's where Jesus's message begins, so to speak. Um, I didn't have a really good reason for doing that, other than probably, to be honest, I wasn't ready to preach through it. So I didn't. I, st- <laughs> I started afterwards. Because I do think there is something, um, something profoundly wonderful about these statements. I didn't want to talk about them without having the time and the space to actually really get the goodness out of them and so we started after that always with the intention of coming back to the Beatitudes and so I've been sitting in these for a little while I've been reading and studying these for a little while and and trying to work out how we're going to do it and I thought well we could do these in one sermon we could do them in three like you can do, well, I can make up, but I can do whatever I want. So, um, but as I've been reading and uh, I've just thought, you know what, there is enough depth and beauty and challenge in each one of these statements to do us for the rest of our lives, basically. And so probably we're just going to take them a week at a time, which might take us a while because there's other bits that come in like Easter and stuff like that. So... That's the current plan, to just finish off our Sermon on the Mount by just walking our way very slowly through the Beatitudes um, and looking at them and letting God speak to us and encourage us and challenge us as we go. So that's what we're going to be doing for the next little while. So tonight we're just going to be looking at the very first one, which is, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So before we dive right in, I just want to rewind and remind you of the context of this time of Jesus's life and the way that Matthew has positioned this, these three chapters of Jesus's teaching at the beginning of his gospel. And so in Matthew chapter four, um, at the very end of chapter four, so we've had Matthew doing the birth narratives of Jesus, we've had Matthew doing the genealogy, we've had Matthew um, writing about the baptism of Jesus and Jesus very early days of ministry, um, calling disciples, healing many people. And then right at the end of chapter 4, it says this, large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, which was just known as a group of 10 cities, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So Jesus has done enough really wonderful things to attract a crowd, basically. Now, when Jesus saw all these crowds of people following him, he went up onto a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, along with all the crowds, because they were following him and all around, and he began to teach them, and he began by saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then as Matthew sort of chunks it together in scripture, then there's like three chapters of the Bible of Jesus' teaching. But I guess I wanted to remind you that these, this, these, this whole sermon of Jesus is directed um, to the disciples but also to the crowds. 
So Jesus had done enough wonderful things that all the people were following him. And so he goes up the mountain and sits down and begins to teach and, and talk about the way of God as he sees it. And I think some of these things are really important in what Jesus is doing because Matthew is making almost a direct comparison between Moses and Jesus. I don't know if Jesus was making that direct comparison. Maybe he was, but, but Matthew certainly was as he structures this account. Because, you know, the giving of the Ten Commandments and the law to Moses was totally a known narrative in the Jewish people. So we all know that Moses goes up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments and bring it back down to the people. And Matthew kind of writes in such a way that he's sitting Jesus alongside of Moses as Jesus goes up the mountain to bring a new way to the people. So he's just making a parallel. And I want to point out a few differences, I think. Compare the pair, Moses and Jesus, because there are some differences between what, Mo what happened with Moses and what Jesus is doing. So Moses goes up the mountain alone to meet with God. It was basically Moses only. Um, there's a few reasons for that. Um, one primarily which the people were generally totally freaked out and didn't want to go themselves. So Moses goes on behalf of the people and God is happy to speak to the people through Moses. But when we've got Jesus, it's like it's not Moses going up the mountain just to meet with God. It's God has come down to earth to be with his people. So there's a to kind of like these direct parallels, a difference between Moses and Jesus. When, when um, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai, the people are afraid and they remain at, the, at, a, different, at a distance. But it, we've got crowds following Jesus up the mountain in this thing. In Moses' thing, God's presence comes as thunder, lightning, smoke and the sound of a trumpet. And in Matthew's rendition of what Jesus did, we've got God sitting down for a chat. Two very different pictures of the holiness of God. Both good, both true, both real. And to, I'm being a bit naughty when I say God sits down for a chat. Um, to sit down and teach was actually an act of authority in the time of Jesus. Like if I was in first century Judea, number one, I wouldn't be allowed to speak as I'm a woman. But anyway, if I was, I wouldn't be standing in front of you. I would sit like, because to, to be seated was the position of authority. So Jesus is sitting down in the place of authority to teach the people. And in essence, in the, in the Ten Commandments, God gives Moses the law, which was his way of saying, this is how I want you to be my people. This is how you will be imaged as my people in the world. It wasn't given necessarily as a list of ten rules that you must obey. But this is what to be a person of God looks like. Worship God only. Don't kill each other. Don't steal. Don't envy. Like just, it was more about how to be God's people in the world. What the people did with that was they used it to go on as a measuring stick of who is in and who is out. And then also by extension to decide who was blessed and who was cursed. And we know that because when we see Jesus encountering the blind man, everybody asks, so who sinned? him or his parents because obviously he's in a pretty crap place 
something's gone wrong, therefore it must be sin. So for them, all evidence of being in a bad place had to do with sin. That was the way they framed it. So the Ten Commandments were almost used as a way to decide who was, who was good and who was a sinner. Because if life was going well for you, you were obviously following the Ten Commandments, so you must be blessed. But if life was going bad for you, you mustn't be following God's law because then you'd be cursed. But Jesus comes in and kind of upends all of that. Because when he gives us the Sermon on the Mount, and in particular these Beatitudes that we're going to be reading through, it's like he totally redefines what blessing is and totally distances it in a way from behaviour and certainly from sin in, in its detail. He takes the law deeper from rules to wholeness and he maps out the way to be fully human, a lot of what we've been talking about over the last year. And so I wanted to parallel those to give you again just the broader context of what I think Jesus and certainly Matthew is doing. That he's, It's like a new way of living. It's a new way of being. But it's no longer the untouchable God. It's the God who is among us on the mountain with the crowds telling us what it looks like to be blessed and to be whole and to be human. So that's what's going on as Jesus um, begins this. So what I want to do is just talk about what did it, what did Jesus mean when he says blessed or blessed? Who, put your hand up if you, when you read it, you say blessed. Put your hand up if you say blessed. I know, I don't know what I'm supposed to say. So I might interchange blessed and blessed because I don't really know what the appropriate thing is. I, it, no, but I just wanted to make sure that no one was thinking I was weird. <laughs> So anyway, what does Jesus mean by blessed? When he, uh, the word that's written here in the Greek, which wouldn't have been the, the language Jesus spoke. Jesus would have spoken Aramaic. But what we have in our earlier scripture is the Greek. But the Greek word used by blessed in this thing is the word um, makarios or makaros or makarena. Um, <laughs> it's... It's a particular word that Matthew uses for blessed. And in classical Greek, Makar was associated with the immortal gods who were deathless and no longer, associate, no longer subject to fate. And everyone wanted to be like the gods, which was basically immortal. That, in Greek culture and philosophy, that was the highest place you could be, to be immortal. In Christian use, Makarios... Makaros, Makarios, came to mean sharing in the life of God the ultimate joy. There is no higher gift than to be blessed in this sense. The blessing extends, extended to us is participation in the communion of the Holy Trinity, sharing in God's immortality and being blessed with the qualities that seem humanly impossible. So this is a deep and a big word to be blessed. It doesn't just mean, oh, you know, you're doing okay or this is a good place to be. or whatever. It's quite like spiritual in its overtones. It means full participation in the life of God, which in a sense is where we came from and where we're going. It's our human destiny to be in divine relationship with God in all its fullness. And Jesus is saying, when you find this along the way on earth, this is what it looks like to be blessed. 
It's about divine life and it's about goodness. And Jesus is going to outline how we experience it on the way to the ultimate experience of it. So we could all say we're not going to fully experience the beauty of divine life until we've passed from this life into the next and are with God in eternity, whatever that looks like. But Jesus is outlining for us on a mountain with the crowds, God sitting down amongst his people saying, hey, it's not just for the hereafter, it's actually for life here and now and let me tell you how you experience it on the way to experiencing it in its fullness. And so he's really like kind of laying out this this thing. Now I wanted to read you out this quote by Rabbi Stephen Schwarzschild because I thought it was really good because when we hear the word blessed, I want to just, you know, get us out of hashtag blessed, which is our kind of, you know, concept of being blessed and into perhaps a deeper vision of what it means. Um, And so Rabbi Stephen Schwarzschild says, happy isn't good enough. Although in some translations in your Bible, depending on what translation you have, it might say, happy are the poor in spirit. But he says, happy isn't good enough. The biblical translator who uses such a word should change jobs and maybe write TV comedies with nice happy endings. The problem is that if you decide you don't like blessed... There is no single English word which can take its place. That's the challenge of the loading of the word blessed in our languages. We just don't have an equivalent in English to to make up a different word. You might use a phrase like on the right track or going in the right direction. Sin means being off track or missing the target. So being blessed means you aren't lost. You're on the right path. the creator intends you to be on. But what you recognise as blessing may look like an affliction to an outsider, which will make sense as we go through what these places of blessing actually are. Exchanging blessed for happy trivialises the biblical word. You may as well sum up the whole Bible with a slogan like, have a nice day. (laughs) And I just really enjoyed that quote in the sense of trying to dig a bit deeper than just thinking, oh, I'll be happy if, or life will be good if. Like it's, it's much, much deeper than that. This is about fullness of life. This is about ultimate spiritual blessing and connection and peace and shalom with God. Like it's a very big, deep word that Jesus is using to say blessed. And so as we walk through these, I want to, I guess, invite us to see these Beatitudes as the path of discipleship, which with each Beatitude being like a stepping stone on the way to following Jesus. That's kind of a way that Jesus lays these out. It's like a path that we walk on. It's a way that we follow. Um, One of the you know, the ancient people used to talk about the Beatitudes being like a ladder, um, a ladder of Christian discipleship. And every time you fall off, you end up back at the bottom, blessed are the poor in spirit, which is a really good way to end. And if you've fallen off a ladder, that's probably what you're thinking, I'm poor in spirit. Um, I don't really like that picture because it gives us this image that Christianity is somehow climbing a ladder to God. And we know that's not actually how it works. (laughs) If anything, it's a a downward ladder but you can't fall off a downward ladder and end up back at the top so I really had no better metaphor for the ladder thing so I'm steering away from the ladder but that's in a sense what the gist of it is is that this is a pathway 
with stepping stones along the way. And the invitation, I guess, on this way um, through these Beatitudes is to be a pilgrim on the way, not a tourist. So there's a big difference between a pilgrim and a tourist. A pilgrim is someone who is finding God on the path along the way to finding God. That's what a pilgrim is, someone who's seeking God on the journey to seeking God. But a tourist is someone who's looking for an experience of an exotic location so they can take a photo of a foreign place and see something different. That's very, there's a very big difference between a pilgrim and a tourist. Um, if you see pilgrims in holy places, they're weeping because they've found what they're looking for. But you'll know a tourist by the camera hanging around their neck and they're there to take a photo of this place, whatever it is, but I want to go home and show it. There's a very big difference between being a, a pilgrim and a tourist. A tourist takes a souvenir to remind them of a strange place they once visited. Um, but a pilgrim knows that that place that they found is what they've always been longing for. So I want to invite us to actually see these Beatitudes as the way of pilgrimage to God. These aren't destinations that we sometimes visit in life and take a photo and remember. I remember what it felt like to do that, yeah. Once I mourned, hmm, I was comforted. That was nice, let me tell you the story. It's not about that. It's not about I, can, I once went here. It's actually about the way that Jesus is inviting us to follow in order that we might find God every step of the way along the way to finding God. So these Beatitudes, in a way, are an invitation towards pilgrimage. We should be able to say of the Beatitudes, oh, this is the way. This is the way to divine life. This is the way I find God. And so as we talk through them, I'm going to invite us to look at each of these Beatitudes as both location and invitation. We're going to look at them as location because essentially these are about geography. Jesus is saying that place is where you're blessed. So it's like location. When you find yourself in that place, and we're going to talk through the places, they're the places of blessing and divine life. So it's geography. Um, It's location. It's being placed somewhere. But also... When we don't find ourselves always in that place, we can see the Beatitudes as invitation to be in that place in some way. So that we're not just tourists saying, oh yeah, once once I hungered and thirsted for righteousness, that felt good. But yeah, it was was many years ago. The invitation is actually to be like, oh, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that's the place of blessing. And when I'm there, I can enter fully into the blessing and the divine life. And when I'm not there, the invitation is always, that's where you want to know God? Go find him there. So does that make sense? We're going to look at location and invitation as we go through these. And so tonight's one is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. How can we see this both as location and invitation? That when we are in this place, this is where divine life is. 
And when we're not in this place, the invitation is always from God to come, to be in this place. So here are a few different translations of that beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit. How blissful the destitute, abject in spirit. Blessed are those who humbly recognise their need for God. Blessed are those who are poor at being spiritual. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope, which is how Eugene Peterson translated it in the message. When Jesus used the word blessed are the poor in spirit, um, he used quite a, a, a word for poor that doesn't didn't just mean the general poor so when we read that crowds followed Jesus and they followed him up the mountain and he sat down and he talked to them you need to know that every single person in that crowd was poor by your standards they're peasants under Roman occupation they are probably living hand to mouth so they don't have Netflix um and probably their entire family, including great aunt Mabel, is living in their little house. You know, they didn't have their own room. You know, like we're talking like the jet, like poor by our standards. But that's not the word Jesus used to say, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, he used the word destitute. So if you imagine that in Jesus's day, like 80% of the crowd in front of him was the poor. Well, he's talking about like the bottom of the bottom the bottom 10, 20% of society. Blessed are they. They're the blessed, those who are destitute. So it's quite a, a confronting word. And in, and in Matthew, if you compare the Beatitudes between Matthew and Luke, you see Matthew adds, blessed are the poor in spirit, whereas Luke just goes all guns blazing and says, blessed are the poor. So we're not preaching from Luke, so we'll, we'll preach from Matthew. But I do want to say there is a preferential treatment of the poor in the Gospels. And Luke goes straight to it when he says, blessed are the poor. Matthew adds, blessed are the poor in spirit. I think both are good. Let me read you this quote by Jim Forrest. Without poverty of spirit, we cannot begin to follow Christ. What does poverty of spirit mean? It's my awareness that I cannot save myself. That I am basically defenceless. That neither money nor power will save me from suffering and death. And that no matter what I achieve and acquire in this life, it will be far less than what I wanted. Poverty of spirit is my awareness that I need God's help and mercy more than I need anything else. Poverty of spirit is getting free of the rule of fear. Fear being the great force that restrains us from acts of love. Being poor in spirit means letting go of the myth that the more I possess, the happier I'll be. It is an outlook summed up in a French proverb. When you die, you carry in your clutched hand only what you gave away. Poverty of spirit is a letting go of self and of all that keeps you locked in yourself. Poverty of spirit is basically that recognition that 
more than anything else in this world, we need God. And without him, I am nothing. It sums up deep humility. It's the reason for repentance. It's the reason we fall to our knees in worship. It's because we acknowledge that, you know, our basic state is that without God, I'm nothing. And it's not a woe is me slash my wrists, I'm a worm kind of false humility, but it's just a genuine acknowledgement that for all our chasing after the things of this world that might bring happiness or contentment, basically, you know what? Without God, it's all meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It's a knowledge that, you know, we, we are desperate for the mercy of God in every moment. And it's living in that place, knowing that all of our riches and our material possessions, they don't satisfy us. And perhaps even the pursuit of them is a problem because it leads us into thinking that they will satisfy us. And maybe when we're locked in that place, we're not experiencing the full life of God. And so it's, it's a really kind of deep place and really you can't start the spiritual journey without starting there. It's step one in recovery movement, my own helplessness. We can't come to the life of faith or to spiritual life with anything other than the knowledge that without God I am nothing. Without the work and the life of Jesus Christ, Everything else is meaningless. So it's the, pl- it's the starting place. And it's the place we come to when everything all fa- When we're climbing the ladder of spiritual life and we fall off, it's the place we come back to. It's the bottom rung. It's the place of being poor in spirit. Let me just pass this out for us a bit so that we can perhaps see ourselves in this a little bit clearer. You're blessed when you're empty, when you have nothing or nothing left. Not just materially, but on the inside. You know what it feels like when that place in you is empty and you've got nothing left to give? That place, that's the place of divine life. You're blessed when you hit rock bottom when you're drinking the dregs and scraping the bottom of the barrel. That's the place of blessing and divine life. You're blessed when you have nothing to offer, but you can only receive. You're blessed when you're stretched to breaking point, when you can't play the game anymore and you give it up. You know the game. Your workplace has a game. Some of your relationships have a game. Sometimes your soul has a game for how it's going to win. When you give up the game and you know it can't do anything to give you what you need, that's the place of divine blessing. You're blessed when you have nothing to defend or protect, both materially and in your own reputation, your own ego. You're blessed when you're a beggar or you feel like one, when you hope for scraps, when you're satisfied with little. You're blessed when you know you don't deserve anything. You're blessed when you feel lonely 
or overlooked. You're blessed when you're powerless to pull yourself out of the hole that you're in. Whether you've dug it for yourself or someone else has dug it and you've fallen in, you're blessed when you know that there is nothing in your own strength that can get you out of that place. You're blessed when in your own strength you know you can't fix yourself or anyone else or the situation. You're blessed when you can't afford the food to comfort eat or there's no chocolate left in the cupboard or ice cream in the freezer and you just can't be bothered to do the supermarket run. That's the place of blessing. You're blessed when the wine cellar is empty and you cannot drink to numb the pain. You're blessed when you don't have Netflix, Stan, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime, I, I don't know, what else is there? You're blessed when you don't have those, can't afford them, because when you can't distract yourself to your own happiness, you might be hit in the face with divine life. That's the place of blessing. This is the place of blessing of bliss and life eternal. That's the location Jesus is talking about, when you're in that place. Does anyone know what that place feels like? Have you got, do you know, have you been there? Do you know that emptiness, that sense of destitution? I have nothing left. I am so thin on the inside. I've got nothing else to offer. My strength is gone. I'm weak and I'm empty and nothing can fill what's lacking inside of me. You know that place? Jesus says to you, that is the blessed place. That is the very place of divine life. That is the place of intimate connection and bliss and life eternal. Why? Because when you're in that place, yours is the kingdom of heaven. Not one day will be the kingdom of heaven when you die, so just suck it up and be poor. But no, now, present tense, when you're in that place, yours is the kingdom of heaven. For there is the satisfaction because that place, that is actually where God is. Because the kingdom is well suited for very ordinary people. And so when you find yourself at the bottom of your own ordinariness, you can be encouraged that the kingdom of God belongs to the ordinary. Because when there's less of you, there's more of God. And so when you're at the end of your rope and you've got nothing less to cling on to, it's a really good place for God to throw out his rope and catch you as you fall. So long as we can be holding on to the things that keep us happy, we sometimes find ourselves far from the kingdom. And because I've found that God is actually at the end of the rope, and he is actually at the bottom of the barrel. And he's actually waiting for us in the emptiness that food and wine and Netflix cannot fill. That's where God is. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what does it mean to be pilgrims to this place, not tourists? What does it mean to live along the way 
of saying, I know what it feels like to visit this place because I'm imagining that nearly every person in this room knows what it's like to be a tourist to this place. We have been there, you have been there. You know what it feels like to be in that place. So what is the invitation from Jesus to not just be a tourist to the place of poor in spirit, but to be a pilgrim on the way, knowing that the place of being poor in spirit is the way to the way of finding God? What does it mean to choose to know that to be blessed in that place, to experience divine life in that place is not just the happy ending at the end of a bad phase, but is actually the place where we find God? How do we be pilgrims in this place? How do we know that to be poor in spirit is what Jesus calls us to? How do we do that? How do we see this both as location and invitation. So this is depressing, let's be honest, in some ways. Because I don't want to live there. Anyone want to live there? Hands up. Anyone want to live there? No. I don't like, I hate that feeling. I hate that feeling of being empty. I don't like the feeling of being lonely. I don't like the feeling of being at the end of my rope. I quite enjoy, thank you very much, having metres of rope below me that I can still clutch on on my way down so that I feel a whole lot better about how I'm going to rescue myself before I... I I prefer that as a way of life than to living somehow at the bottom. And now look, I'm not saying let's all just live in woe. Jesus is not saying let's all just be depressed and live at the bottom of the barrel. I think he's trying to say that the invitation to divine life does include you giving up everything that keeps you from realising you are utterly desperate for God. And that most of us on any given day have a pocket full of behaviours, and things that we use to keep us away from poor in spirit. And when we're using those things like food and Netflix and friendships and anything that keeps us away from acknowledging our own emptiness, maybe we're a little bit further from the experience of divine life than if we just allowed ourselves to bottom out and be caught in the arms of God. And so it is location and it is invitation. And so I want to say to you tonight that if you're in the place this afternoon of feeling like you're at the end of your rope, you have got nothing left. You are in an incredible season of loneliness and emptiness that doesn't seem to, you know, change over time. If you find yourself feeling empty, God is with you. Jesus says to you, that place that you find yourself in is the place of divine life. Not if you reject divine life, but if you look into the eyes of Jesus at the bottom of the rope and in the hole and say, Jesus, I need you here. You can experience a deeper version of bliss, of blessedness and divine life than every one of us in this room that's still clutching to our straws. So I want to say to you, be blessed as you bottom out. 
when you feel like you've got nothing left, don't see that as an awful place to be. See that as the opportunity to find divine life. See that as the place where we reach out to God and find him in all his fullness. And for those of us who aren't in that place this afternoon, know that it's invitation to let go a little bit more of those things that keep us afloat in order that we might fall into the arms of a merciful God. Because those things that you're pushing along on the journey, (laughs) all of that stuff that you use to keep you away from poor in spirit, that's the hindrance. It's not the answer. That's the hindrance. So maybe the call of God to you tonight, the invitation might be to let one of those things go. Do you numb out on TV every night? Pick one night this week you choose to just sit in whatever it is that you're feeling and invite the presence of Jesus to meet you there. Do you comfort eat? Do you busy yourself so that you're so distracted you have no time to encounter what's going on in your soul? Well, maybe just pick one day this week that you refuse to entertain yourself away from poverty of spirit and let yourself fall there. It doesn't matter if you weep and you mourn and you wail and it's awful. It doesn't matter. You'll find divine life in that place of emptiness, of loneliness, of awfulness. That's the invitation from Jesus. And I think all of us need to hear a little bit more of that. Some of us are there and we need to know that that's the place that Jesus calls blessed. Some of us do anything we can to not be there and we need to hear the call of Jesus to say, can you give up your trinkets? Can you give up the stuff that keeps you away from this place in order that you might fall into me because I will catch you? That's the invitation from God. There's this little poem that has been rolling around our community because there's a few of us that really enjoy the writing of her fits and I was recently talking to Michael about just some of the places that I find myself at the moment in spiritual life which, you know, in short isn't at the top of a mountain Um, and I find that hard to not be at the top of the mountain. I like to be at the top of the mountain so when I'm at the bottom in the valley I, I find that difficult. And I was sharing with Michael and he sent me this poem and I've been sharing it around a few other people as well because it's really the invitation in a poetry form to be poor in spirit. So I want to read it to you. It says this, Don't surrender your loneliness so quickly. Now you can insert whatever word for loneliness you like there. Your grief, your pain, your emptiness... Whatever it is, don't surrender. Don't surrender it so quickly. Let it cut you more deep. Let it ferment and season you as few humans and even divine ingredients can. Something missing in my heart tonight has made my eyes so soft my voice so tender, my need for God absolutely clear. And this poem is like an invitation to, instead of running away from those things that cut us deep, it's the invitation to actually sit 
in those things and let them season us, that they might indeed prepare the space of our heart to be soft towards God in order to encounter the beauty of divine life in our abject poverty. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I just want to, as we finish, I'm going to invite Chris up and he's going to play us a song, just because it's nice to have music. Um, We're not going to sing this song, but um, I would actually like us to pray for one another tonight, um, because... I know what it feels like to be poor in spirit. I'm not abjectly poor tonight. I'm a few steps above poverty, so, you know, don't feel too sorry for me. But I do know what that feeling's like. And when I feel that, it has always been a real comfort for me to have people come around me and be with me. And so what I would like us to do as a community tonight is actually be present to each other's poverty of spirit and for those of us in the room who would say you know what actually on a scale of one to rich I'm pretty poor and I'm feeling pretty low I connect with the loneliness the emptiness the end of my ropeness the bottom of the barrelness the scraping I I can really connect with that in myself tonight what I would like us to do is to just surround those people and be with them So it's going to require a little bit of bravery from us tonight because we're going to need to be brave and vulnerable enough to say, you know what, actually that's me. Um, And so if you're brave and vulnerable enough, uh, you will have some people come and lay hands on you. They are not going to pray that your place of loneliness or brokenness or pain is miraculously fixed. They're actually going to pray prayers that season you for the beauty of life and the fullness of God, so that in the place where you find yourself tonight, God would be incredibly real for you. So they're the prayers I'm instructing you to pray. Um, Encourage one another in the Lord. So as Chris plays this song, um, if you would like your community to come around you and be with you in your poverty, you might like to just stand up where you are that is just to get it's not so you can be like brave that's just actually so people know who you are um (laughs) that's all it is once you've stood up and a few people have gathered around feel free to sit down and be anonymous again if you see someone stand up and you know and love them go and be with them and pray prayers that season them um if you are not in that place and you don't see anyone else you want to pray for in that place then I want you, as Chris plays, to hear the divine invitation from God for you to give up a little bit more of your stuff that keeps you above the poverty line. And I want you to ask God, God, is there something this week I can surrender in order that more fully I can embrace my own poverty of spirit? And you and God can just do a little bit of business as Chris plays the song. Does that sound all right? So that's how we're going to finish our night tonight, by praying and being with one another. So I'm going to pray and everyone's going to close their eyes because that gives everyone a little bit of privacy. And then once I finish my prayer and Chris starts to sing,
Feel free to stand, grab the person next to you. Let people bless you. You're already poor in spirit. You're already at the bottom of the barrel. It doesn't really matter if the people in this loving community know that you're there. It actually might help. Holy Spirit, we just open the eyes of our heart a little wider to you. We want to invite you, Holy Spirit, to above all else, season us for the fullness of life with God. So Holy Spirit, would you come and do that? For all of us that are low and lonely, for all of us that are empty and at the end of our rope, for all of us that are stretched so thin, we feel like we're at the bottom and we have nothing left. Holy Spirit, would you come and be our blessed life tonight? Holy Spirit, would you remind us that when we are in that place, that the kingdom of heaven is ours, that God is there, that perhaps God is even waiting for us in that place and longs for us to just let it go, that we might fall into the arms of his embrace. Would you allow us, Holy Spirit, to see that to be poor in spirit is the first step on a journey, on a pilgrimage to God, where in every step we meet the God we're seeking along the way. So Jesus, would you reveal yourself to each one of us tonight and would you show us what God is like? The God of fullness, the God of satisfaction, the God of divine life. And for Holy Spirit, for those of us not quite in that place this afternoon, would you speak to us about what it might look like for us to live a little bit more poor in spirit and to know the kingdom of God. And so we bring ourselves to you tonight, God. May we know you. May we meet you in this place. Amen. If you would like someone to pray with you, to bless you, to season you with words of kindness and blessing, just stand where you are and people will gather and pray. And Chris will sing and we'll just spend some time digesting all of this in the presence of God. Well, I'm going to bless you as you go with some poverty of spirit this week. In all the poor and lonely and empty places that you find yourself, may you know the goodness of God. And instead of turning your face to fill all the gaps with things you know will be a short fix, may you let your emptiness season you for divine life. 
And may you be willing to sit in the gap and the emptiness in order to wait for the goodness of God to meet you. To go and be blessed as Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Amen. See you next week for some uh, morning. <laughs> Promise not every week will be so deep and like, but this, this is where Jesus starts. So uh, I just think it's where we go. Amen. Um, and then we'll mourn. Mourn with those who mourn. Anyway, bless you. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central. <laughs>